If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. As we look forward to communion, and what God has been already talking to us about, I'm going to just read um, verses 13 through 18, Ephesians chapter 6. It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for just your word. Lord, thanks for the truth of it, the hope of it, the help of it. And Holy Spirit, I pray that right now that you would just calm our hearts, open our hearts up, encourage us again with it, as you just guide us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. One million Ukrainians, this is from the Wall Street Journal this week, one million Ukrainians have fled into neighboring countries that were taken by surprise by the exodus, and volunteers are mobilizing to help exhausted refugees. And the quote was from someone, they don't have energy and strength. When we are getting, or when you're getting hit with flaming darts from the evil one, that's what it feels like. You don't have energy and strength as we just her, but this is what the armor of God is there for. It is the armor of God was given to us as uh, a resource for Christians so that we can stand against the evil one. It, it is uh, our, we have, we have total access to this. Last week we looked at the shield of faith, and what it is, is it's not the little round shield, it's the big shield, it's like a door, um, it is what they would have done, that's the, the word, that's the picture that we should have, when it says take up the shield of faith, it is this big door-like shield that you stand behind, that they stood behind, or they would get together and they would cover each other up, and as they would go into the, uh, to wherever they were trying to get and siege, this was the picture, and the, the picture is we need the shield of faith. Instead of skipping to the next one, I just thought we'd pause again on the idea of the shield of faith because the Bible says the shield of faith, well, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. But here's the question that should maybe come to our minds. If we have this armor of God, and if God is for us and not against us, and if God is as great as God says he is, why does he let the flaming darts even come in the first place? 
Why does he let Satan shoot flaming darts at us? What's the reason why these even have to come to us? Then how then do we keep following Jesus when the hurts come? Because in the scripture, flaming darts is always this idea of suffering. It's always got this idea of suffering when you read scripture. So why does God even allow these flaming darts to come at us in the first place? And how do we keep following Jesus when the hurts come? And what are we going to do when the hurts and the hits come? And what's a godly response to suffering? I mean, this is the whole point of the book of Job. I mean, Job did not suffer because of sin. And one of the lies that Satan wants to feed to people is that this is happening to you because of what you did back here. This is happening to you because of what happened back here. And if you just would do this and this, things will go well for you. And if you do this and this, things will go bad for you. That's karma. That's not Christianity. The book of Job says Job did not sin at all, but he was in this intense battle. And Satan came to God and said, hey, um, you've given Job everything. That's why he worships you. And God says to Job, to Satan, no, go find out. Why does God do this? But as you read the book of Job, what we know is like Martin Luther says, God says to Satan, go ahead, shoot your fiery darts, shoot them violently at Job, but you can't kill him. Which for us means that Satan is like a dog on a chain. He can attack ferociously, but he can only go as far as God lets him. But why does God even let him do that? I mean, the world right now is rocked by what's happening in the Ukraine. Why is it such a shocking thing? That why is the news just 24-7 about that circumstance? It's, it's a circumstance that is, that is devastating. It's shocking. But we shouldn't be surprised. The Bible is a book filled with, filled with reality and realism. When you read the Bible, you, you, you aren't going to get a make-believe Disneyland picture of the world, which is what everything else the world wants to show you. You watch TV and it's the commercial. It's, it's, hey, this is how to have the Disneyland life. This is what life is. The Bible says, no, that's not life. The Bible says that's not reality. The Bible says this is reality. The Bible lives in a realism that is absolutely real. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, for nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Jesus says to us, don't be surprised when there's wars and rumors of wars. Don't be surprised by this. This is what the reality of life in this age is for. The world's rocked by this right now because they somehow convinced themselves that after World War II, that, that now that we're all a global society, that there would never be one man who would say, I want something, and he'd go after viciously. Nobody th they, they thought, we are just, this is 2022. We all live in peace now. We just had pandemic for two years. Nobody's going to be that audacious. There will never be this type of situation. And Jesus all along said, here's the reality. 
There will be wars and rumors of wars. Kingdoms will rise up against kingdoms in various places. It's just the time of this age. And Satan shoots real flaming, fiery darts at us. But why does he do that? Ephesians chapter 6 helps us with that question. He says, take up the shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, which means we have to observe that God allows flaming darts to come at us. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. But there is this real problem we have with pain and suffering. C.S. Lewis, in a book called, called The Problem of Pain, he said this. Here's the question that the world deals with and struggles with, and maybe you struggle with, which is, if God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. And if God were almighty, he would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy. Therefore, God lacks either goodness or power, or both. This is the problem of pain in its simplest form. This is what we struggle with, isn't it? This is what we deal with. We may not say it out loud. We may, not, we may be afraid to say it out loud. But all of us have to deal with this. Why, what is God doing when he shoots? And why would a good God allow flaming darts to come at us? But Ephesians 6 tells us he does. They do come. What are we going to do with it? What we have to see is the person of God. First, the greatness of God and the goodness of God and who he is. And that God then must have purposes for the flaming darts that come. He, he told Satan, you, you can attack and you can almost wipe Job out, but you can't kill him. You're on a leash and God let it happen. And you've had phone calls. You've had days. You've had situations where Satan's leash was let gone. And you were hit. And you had to wonder, why? Where'd that come from? What's going on, God? Ephesians 6 says God has purposes. Satan's purpose is to destroy us, clearly. Satan's purpose, if I can put it in a word, I think for Christians who Ephesians 6 is written to, he wants to create in us bitterness. Bitterness will destroy your life. He wants to send these flaming darts so much that he just attacks you with a sense of bitterness that God's not good, God doesn't care, God isn't as great as he says he is. Look what he's done, look, look what happens in my life and I will move and shipwreck my faith. That's Satan's goal. That's what the fiery darts come from. That's in a sense bitterness, which is why it says in Hebrews to be very careful with bitterness. It's like a flaming dart. Satan wants to send the flaming darts to create bitterness. God wants to send the flaming darts, I would say, in a B word, uh, to create in us a breakthrough or to build us. There's two different purposes for why God allows Satan's flaming 
darts. And the Bible gives, and Tim Keller helped me this week, pictures, three pictures that the Bible talks about. When we think of why would God allow, why would God allow to flaming darts to his people? Why would he allow it? The Bible says there's three pictures for why that happens. One, to refine us. In Malachi chapter 3, it talks about the refiner's fire. You ha- if you want to get the ore to where it's supposed to be, it has to get really hot. And through that heating process, through the fiery heating process, the gold comes out. It, it gets refined. Another reason in John chapter 3, 15 is the Bible talks, says that God, he is the, the vine dresser and we are the vine. And John 15 talks about this. And a master pruner, when, when he goes and does his work, he, he cuts it back. He cuts the branch back so much that if you're, if you're like me, you look at it and think, we're going to kill that thing. That's, that's dead. Me? It, I do kill it because I'm not a master pruner. Teresa, she prunes it back and I think it's dead. She'll know it'll be back next, next spring and it does. This is what a pruner does. He cuts back so it can grow. And the third picture that the Bible uses and says, here's what God does with these fiery flames is he refines us. He's like a vine dresser. And then in Hebrews chapter 12 is the picture of a father. It says in Hebrews My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated. Then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God pictures himself as a refiner. God pictures himself as the master vine dresser, and God is to us the absolute perfect father. Years ago, before we ever moved out into this area, which this area has now sustained my life almost as an adult, we lived in Plainfield, and my dad came home one day and said, hey, we're, we're moving uh, out to a place called Leland. And you know what my reaction to that is? I don't want to go to a place called Leland. I like where I live. I know people around here. I have friends. You know what my dad said? Pack your bags. We're moving to a place called Leland. And somehow in God's grace, he brought us out here, and somehow God has used this area for most of my entire life now. Had the father listened to the sons, because we don't, kids don't know what's going on. We want to hang out and be where we want to be. And the, a, a good father says, no, I, I know there's something better for you. We, we got a better situation. 
Nobody would say, oh, you want to stay? Well, let's stay. It's not what a good father would do. It's not what God does for us. And it also says there's no discipline seems enjoyable in the moment. I mean, discipline in itself to children is painful, but it's painful not to cause pain permanently. When a good father disciplines his children, when you did it right, it wasn't to cause permanent pain. It was because you knew that if that situation didn't get corrected now when you're six, when you're 16 or 26 or 36, and you keep doing that situation, your life will be a disaster. So a good father would cause pain. The picture of God for us, why would he allow these flaming darts? Why does God do it? You say, well, that's, this, that, that's nothing. I'm talking about a phone call where my child was involved. I'm talking about a situation where my health was involved. I'm talking about death. When God pictures himself as a father, he pictures himself and shows himself to be the ultimate father. He knows everything. It's the same. Just like you didn't understand the perspective of your father when he told you certain circumstances because you aren't able to understand it, we aren't able to understand the mind of God or all that God knows. And even if God was able to try to explain it to us, would we be able to really figure it out? He says, his ways are not my, your ways are not my ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. But God's a good, good God. There's a perspective we have to have. There, there's a reality to it. Because God doesn't do things to us to cause us pain. He even says that in Lamentations 3, 31 through 32. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. God doesn't allow the flaming darts because he wants to wipe us out. He doesn't do it to just grieve you. He does it because he's a wise God who knows more than you do, knows more than I do. So the question for us isn't why, but is what is God doing? What does God know that I don't know that somehow this discipline, this situation is going to work out for my good because his character says that this will work out for my good even though it may cause pain. And that pain may last for months and even years. C.S. Lewis said, this, we, we are not metaphorically, but in a very truth, a divine work of art, something that God is making, and therefore something with which he will not be satisfied until it has a certain character. If God loves us so much as he does, and he knows that if he doesn't correct us, if he doesn't let this suffering come, this flaming fire come in, it would shipwreck our faith and lets us just go because he knows that if it does, he would, we would be separated from him forever for eternity. And he just says, I'll let you do what you want to do. He's not a good God. He's not a good father. But if he knows all that and he says, I know that this pain that they might not understand for years and months will inflict them in such a way that it will mold them to have a heart for me as a good father. That's what he will give you. That's what we need because if we are divine works of art, 
that God is working in us. So the flaming darts come because God's a refiner, he's a vine dresser, he's a good father who knows more than we do. And he's able to take those situations that we may never understand. And the phone calls we'll get this afternoon or this week. But we can trust the character of God and know that this is for our good. But when did most of these flaming, fiery darts come? There's more that could be said about that. But what, what, when do the flaming, fiery darts come? It's important for us to know what he says. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. When do they need shields like doors? When they're standing back doing what they want, miles away from the battle? Or when you, you need a shield like a door, when you are right in the fight, when it's unbelievably intense, when you're moving forward. That's why when you became a Christian, for some of you, your life was fine. You became a Christian, all of a sudden your life became very difficult. You remember that? I had a friend in Minnesota who, who was uh, just reading his Bible, reading his Bible, talked to me at work. He talked to me about work. He was interested in spiritual things, and his life was pretty good. He came in one Monday morning after the Super Bowl, watched a Billy Graham special, and had accepted Christ. It was the, the greatest, awesomest day at work that I'd had in the entire time I worked there. And after that, he became a Christian, and then for the next few months I worked with him, was still there, he'd come in and be like, this fell apart, this fell apart, this fell apart. And then he would say to me, Paul, why is it that I wasn't a Christian, my life was going fine, but now that I accepted Christ, everything's fallen apart? I would say, John, it's because now you're in the fight. You, Satan doesn't like that he lost you. You're in the fight and Satan wants to take you away. The, fight, the flaming fiery darts come when we start following Christ or when you say, you know what? It's time to me to stop being bitter. It's time for me to refocus. It's time for me to get active again. It's time for me to get involved, get into God's word, get into prayer. It's time I'm going to start growing spiritually again. And you say, I'm going to do this. You will experience flaming darts of the evil one because you're back in the fight. That's when you need a big door. Not when you're miles away. So if you start to refocus, you want to say, I'm going to do a ministry, I want to start serving God, expect the flaming darts of the evil one to come. When you follow Christ, when you are refocused, or you want to start serving God, that, that's when the battle will come. And you'll be like, this, I'm, I thought I was doing something good for God, now he just feels like he's, he's hurting me. No. You, you're just more in the fight. It's more intense. And when you are rallying others to Christ, when you're, you're leading a ministry, you, you know why so many pastors in the last two years are leaving ministry? Because it's hard. So when you think of ministry people, you want to lead a ministry, pray for them. Because the battle is real. That, that, that's where the, the fight is at. That, that's when you need a big door over you. God allows flaming darts. The darts come when we start following Christ. The darts come when we say, I'm going to be refocused. I'm going to get back into my, the Bible. I'm going to start living for God more intentionally. The, the fight will be there. You start leading others. You start discipling somebody. You're going to have all kinds of problems happen because Satan doesn't like it. You're in the fight. He's, you're much closer to the battle. That's when the, you need a big shield. But how do you proceed to do what this passage says, which is extinguish the flaming darts 
of the evil one. We, we put on the armor of God. We, we acknowledge that we are frail. And we humble ourselves before God. And we see we need your help. And first and second Peter was written to people who are in t- deep persecution. Any time in the world when the church gets persecuted through government issues, all kinds of other struggles, Christians always run to first and second Peter. It's written to persecuted Christians struggling. And over and over and over again, in those passages, Paul says, Peter says, it's right for me to remind you. I need to remind you. I'm just going to tell you again what you already need to know. Preach the gospel to yourself over and over and over again. Humble yourselves. Acknowledge that this is the fight. Then anchor yourself to the word of God. Anchor yourself to the truth. And stay with it. Keep picking up the shield of faith. And then advance. Just move forward. Get with a pack if you need to, just like the big shield does, but move forward. Sometimes you pause and you let the flaming darts fly and you lean into the prayers of others. You lean into the Psalms, but then you just take another step and you take another step. You don't let Satan wipe you out. We stand this is why Joseph, in, Jim, in the end of his life, his brother sold him into slavery. He was put in prison for 10 years. They were said, hey, you'll, you'll, we'll get you out soon. Never got out. He sat, sat, thinking there's no hope, no help. My life is nothing. And then all of a sudden, things turned around. He saved the world. And at the end, his brothers come to him and say, now the dad's going, Joseph is probably going to kill us. And at the end of Joseph's life, in Genesis 50, verses 19 through 20, it says, when his brothers came to him, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? This is not a man who was bitter at all the flaming darts that hit him. He recognized that God had a bigger plan for his life. Don't fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You proceed by acknowledging, by anchoring, by advancing, but what is the greatest hope of why? Why we know for sure that we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one? Maybe not in an hour, maybe not in an afternoon, but we can because we have an older brother in Jesus who suffered the full extent and he extinguished him. When Jesus got baptized at the height of his acknowledgement that now I'm going to really do something, I'm going to live for God, I'm going to do and start my ministry, at the height of when he said, now I'm, now I'm going to do what I'm called to do. Right after that, he was put into the wilderness for 40 days and Satan came to tempt him. And he won. He extinguished every lie of Satan. He took the full force of temptation 
and he didn't falter. He stood, and because Jesus did, so can we. That's our hope as we keep looking to Jesus. George MacDonald, in a book called The Princess and the Goblin, all these goblins were trying to destroy this eight-year-old princess. And they went to kill her dad, and they wiped him out, and her grandmother gave her a ring. And on the ring, there was a thread. And she said, the grandmother said, hold on to the ring and follow the thread. And so she followed the thread, and the thread took her to places that she didn't want to go. It took her up heavy hills, through rocks, through different circumstances. And her grandmother said, it may seem to you a very roundabout way indeed, but you must not doubt the thread. And she didn't doubt the thread. And she kept following the thread through hardships and through trials until she found her friend, until she got to the place of safety. We are called to put on the full armor of God, to take up the shield of faith, to look to Jesus. That's what faith is, to trust in him, to follow the thread, to look to the cross, knowing that Jesus conquered it all. He went to the cross. He suffered. He died. He took all the darts, and he quenched them all so that when we put on his armor, take the shield of faith, we are able to quench all the flaming darts of the evil one. God is our refuge and our hope. Trust in him.